Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. I'm your host, Patrick, and welcome to the first episode of my podcast. Um, tonight's episode, or today's episode rather, uh, is going to discuss uh, the Leaf Blower Massacre, uh, parts one and two, and Butterfly Kisses, as well as uh, two video game discussions on uh, first impressions for Devil May Cry 5, and uh, some controversy about Jump Force, primarily about its reception amongst the uh, video game community. And finally, we will be discussing my review of Captain Marvel. Uh, I'm going to save that for the end of the show because I am going to go into spoilers and when I get into the spoilers portion of the episode uh, for Captain Marvel, that will allow you to just, if you don't want to have anything spoiled, be allowed to just tune out and um, you know, you're know you done with the episode and you can wait for the next one. Um, so before we get into those uh, topics, though, I do want to give a couple... Uh, shout outs to some personal friends um, one who has been undergoing a uh, tough challenge and another that has been helping me kind of get this all established and together um, it's a dream I've had for a while to do my own podcast to be able to talk about these topics and uh, share my my thoughts and opinions with an audience um, so First off, let me give a huge shout out to a childhood friend, um, John Beckelheimer. Uh, you can follow him at Rook underscore Cat, I believe is his Twitter handle. It'll be in the show notes. Um, John has been having a battle with uh, some cancer, and today was his last day of chemo. And from what I understand, uh, things are looking pretty good for him. So. I just want to give him a quick shout out. I've known John since we were kids, and um, I know that this has probably been a very difficult uh, few months for him and for his family. And uh, I just want to, you know, tell him congrats and you know keep up the faith, keep up the hard work. Um, you know, you've never been down, and you're never going to let it get you down. So, just uh, best wishes, John. And the final shout-out I want to give to um, Crystal of the Horror Nights End podcast. Um, thankfully, through our connection on Twitter, uh, you know, as if you are familiar with her show, I've guested on there a couple times, and it's been a great experience and um, kind of a great introduction into uh, being prepared for this. So uh, she's been helping me out. Um, the intro with uh, that we will be doing... Uh, kind of on a regular basis with uh, trailer uh, information mixed in to kind of give you guys an idea of what we're going to be discussing about for the week's episode. Uh, she is at least had done this one, and if uh, I can't figure out how to do it, she might be helping me out in the future with those uh, type of things. So if you're not already subscribed or listening to her uh, podcast, please do. It's a fantastic show. She really goes in-depth analysis on horror films and her personal opinions and thoughts. And um, it's been a really great uh, time to guest on that show. And um, the friendship that we've developed over these past few months has been really great for me and 
if you're not listening, you really should. You're missing out on some great stuff. And also, you know, leave her a um, review on iTunes and, um, you know, a rating. It, it helps um, for especially more independent podcasters uh, kind of get their foot in the water and help people find uh, their shows more. So, you know, if you have a few seconds, it's just quick, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot. So, you know, please go over and check her out and, and listen to her stuff. And if you're willing uh, or able, you know, go and uh, check out her Patreon. She's got some pretty interesting and cool tiers, and I think she's going to have some really great content for her Patreons um, for the future. All right, so now with that stuff out of the way, we're going to talk about a independent horror film that uh, the director reached out to me on Twitter um, and asked if I was familiar with their work. I was not, and I am a huge fan of horror. If you haven't listened uh, to Crystal's shows in the past, especially I think, believe the first one I was on where we discussed 13 and 14 cameras, um, I have, one, just a great fascination with film in the first place, but my true love of genre is horror. Um, it's a fantastic uh, genre. There's a lot of creativity and I think some really great uh, storylines, social commentary, uh, cre just creativity in general for what these uh, young directors or even old directors, new uh, actors and actresses sound techs, makeup effects artists, special effects. It's a really interesting ground in where some people get their starts and go on to uh, bigger and better things in, in the industry, kind of get their start in, in horror. And I think that that is uh, an overlooked um, result of working in that industry. And uh, my personal favorite horror franchise because it was the franchise that really got me into horror is Friday the 13th. I absolutely love it despite many flaws that the, that the series has. I will watch it all day, any day. Uh, in fact, a few years ago when we had a Friday the 13th in October, I managed to have a PTO day that day uh, from my work and I managed to watch all of the uh, Friday the 13th uh, franchise in one day. So it was a really cool experience. Um, it'll be a few more years before I can maybe do that again, but uh, it was really cool. So um, getting back to the topic, um, Anthony Cooney directed a... Now, since they're independent, they're a little bit shorter, uh, especially the first one. The first one is only about 12 minutes. Um, but, you know, if you're lucky to get your hands on a copy, and I recommend... Supporting indie film, um, even if you might not 100% like it or there you know it's very amateur uh, work, you know, go out and support that because if they can get enough support and get their work out there and get noticed and they can get uh, potential projects with higher budgets that allow them to do uh, pieces that have the money to be able to put the support behind their work, I would definitely recommend it. So Anthony Cooner's, Cooney, pardon me, is the uh, writer and director of The Leaf Blower Massacre 1 and 2. And uh, 
uh, he was very kind enough to send me a copy of his movie, and um, and this is a, a thing I, I might run into as a problem when I'm trying to help promote or review independent films um, in general, not just in horror, is I, I have to kind of separate the fact that they are of lower quality in the, in the sense of budget and uh, production value, and sometimes I can overlook it, uh, and sometimes I can't. Uh, and I really had a hard time with the first part. It, it's it, part of the problem is that it is so short. It is only twelve minutes long. Um, there's not enough space for the characters to grow, uh, for you to uh, really kind of know where the story is going to go. There's some really funny bits in there, and I do believe that there is some intended comedy in both the first and second part, although it's toned down a little bit more in the second part. The second part's uh, a little more serious. Um, but the first first one, it, it kind of left me wanting, and I was really concerned with how I was going to review this, because I do not want this to kind of come off as a disrespect to Anthony and to the uh, people who worked on the film, but I was, I was very uh, unhappy with how I felt the first one went. Uh, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and I don't think that there was enough background on the killer themselves. Um, you didn't have an idea of why they were going around committing uh, these murders, um, the motivation, and there wasn't enough character development. So that's all primarily uh, because of the short runtime. So I have to recognize that and know that uh, they probably didn't have the budget to do much or were very excited to get this project going and so they went with what they had um, so I'm not going to criticize it too much in the sense of its quality in production, its quality in acting uh, its quality in sound editing and editing in general uh, but I will say as a positive it is a good primer for the second part uh, the second part is a huge improvement over over part one uh and it and it runs longer as well it is is an hour long so i would recommend if you have um, a copy of lethal air massacre 2 i believe that it is on the special features um, of the dvd that you can watch that beforehand if not i do know that the first part is on youtube and if uh Anthony is not upset with anyone going out there and viewing it on there. I would recommend, if you're going to watch the second one, do watch the first one. Even if you might come away from it as, like, I'm not too sure about this. This is kind of amateur or, or not done well. Um, it, I recommend it. I recommend it as, as part of the whole viewing uh, of, the set, of the set. So, uh, to give a brief synopsis of, of the project as a well, whole, you have this masked killer in Chicago going around and attacking primarily young women uh, with a leaf blower. It's a very impractical in the first one. Uh, I believe he does carry around, or they carry around a, an extension cord uh, at one point near the beginning of the first one and, you know, is having to plug it in to then attack um, a young couple in the streets of Chicago. Uh, a small criticism I have on the leaf blower itself is 
there is nothing about the leaf blower that makes it appear that it is like supercharged or has the capability of doing bodily harm to a human being. I wish that there had been something, some type of effect or uh, prop that made it look like it was supercharged and would explain how uh, he can kill someone with, with a leaf blower. Um, but, you know, you got to have your suspension of disbelief. Is a, it is a horror film. There are ridiculous kills in about all horror films, so I, I can let it slide. Um, and then you're introduced to, and I, I can't say his first name, Some that, and that's part of the uh, audio quality and criticism, is that sometimes it was hard to hear what some of the characters were saying and knowing what their names were, but I do know that his last, names was, his last name was Jennings. And uh, he's kind of the main character of the short in the first film he's definitely the main character in the second part um and jennings is kind of you assume by the end of the first one is, is dead because he's just attacked and, and left in a dumpster um and so that's kind of right where the second one picks up and and it, it picks up right immediately after you have two detectives who discover a uh, crime scene with mutilated body parts and they are, uh, you know, investigating, and they find uh, the hand of Jennings' fiance. Well, supposedly the hand of uh, Jennings' fiance, and so later uh, you discover that Jennings is in fact still alive. A homeless man comes across him in the dumpster, and he was just knocked out. Now I was really impressed between the performance difference. Jennings, the same actor um, from the first film, uh, he, he didn't get a lot, have a whole lot of room to kind of grow, and you kind of get the idea that he's maybe a street thug. And I think Anthony did a great job kind of twisting that stereotype on the head when you realize after Jennings gets home that and then goes into work the next day that he is in fact a college professor. I was not expecting that. I wasn't seeing that. Uh, and I thought that was a really cool uh, twist. So throughout the plot of the second film, you kind of are, there's more deaths, there's more, um, some very interesting kill scenes. And, and I will say that they were creative. Um, they might have not been able to have the budget to kind of pull off the full effect of what they wanted to do, but I did love the creativity behind it. And uh, I can appreciate that. Uh, but you have the, the leaf blower killer kind of targeting these young women and they all happen to be actually students of Jennings and the entire time you have Jennings trying to decide or trying to figure out whether or not his fiance is dead or alive and so he kind of inserts himself in the police investigation and in turn uh, makes himself a suspect and it's really interesting and there is motivation behind the murders there's still not a clear motivation as to why the murderer is using a leaf blower you get a do you do get a quick um, flashback scene of the killer as a child and and again the audio quality it, it goes in and out throughout the film um, there are points where it's very clear and there are points where it's very muffled and even at high volume I had some trouble understanding what some of the characters saying and unfortunately there aren't any subtitles on the DVD 
Um, but you do not quite fully understand why the killer is using this MO. Um, but there is good motivation for the killer and why they are specifically targeting James. So I do want to say that the second part is a vast improvement on part one. Um, and part of that deals with the fact that it is a longer runtime, so they are able to explore more character depth and growth and give more motivation to the killer and um, have the audience understand more of what's going on instead of the short bit of the first one where it's, you know, a, a kill, a poker scene, a kill, and it's essentially over. So I want to thank Anthony um, for sending me the movie. I think he has great potential um, as a independent horror filmmaker, and I hope that he continues to make film, and I hope that he gets some exposure, that he is allowed to have a bigger budget to kind of more explore these grand ideas that he has, because I really think he has a very interesting eye um, for horror and some very interesting concepts that would be really cool to explore in a project that has a stronger uh, budget uh, and sh maybe a little bit stronger cast. Now, not all the cast is awful in the second one, but there are some very weak performances, and it's, and it's primarily because it's an indie project. So I can understand that, and I can kind of look past it. So, again, Anthony, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to future projects of yours, and definitely feel free to reach out. Um, if you need me to review any more content, I hope I wasn't too harsh. Uh, if I'm going to go on my regular scale of out of five, I'll give part one a 2.5 out of five, uh, primarily because of its, it's, a, it's weaker. It's, it's just the weaker of the two, um, but it is still a good primer for the second one. And as for the second one, I'm going to go with about a 3.5 because um, uh, just the fact that I felt that there was a vast improvement uh, on almost all levels of the filmmaking compared to the first one. Um, so, Anthony, uh, thank you again. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out if you ever want to do an interview uh, on the show and talk about any other upcoming projects or just to even talk about this one. So, uh, I, I do believe um, there is some way to uh, reach out and try to get uh, a copy of the second film. Uh, I do know that the first one is on YouTube, but uh, definitely for the second one, try to reach out to Anthony. Um, his uh, Twitter, Twitter handle, I believe, is at Massacre, um, And let him know you're interested in the film. It's, it's definitely not a waste of time. And, I mean, it, for its shortness, you're not, you're not investing a whole lot of time. So even if you don't like the film, uh, you, you know, you haven't wasted a whole lot of your time, but you've at least helped support indie artists. And I think that that is something that across the board needs to happen. So, all right. Um, we're going to move on to uh, another horror film review. Um, and this is uh, on Amazon Prime currently streaming. It is called Butterfly Kisses. Now, Butterfly Kisses is a really interesting found footage horror film, and I love found footage. Um, I know a lot of people look down on that subgenre of horror, but I really find it fascinating. 
I find it really puts you in the character's shoes and it allows you to kind of go through the experience of the characters as they go through it. Yes, you do get shaky cam. Yes, you do get long stretches of things not happening. Um, and then when they do happen, they're quick or they're very low budget effects or, or they just don't quite gel. Uh, and I know a lot of people uh, have some issues with it. But with that said, I think found footage is a really cool subgenre. I mean, I've been a fan of the Blair Witch Project. I remember watching that movie in the early or late 90s, actually, because it was 1999 when that came out. I was 11 at the time and just being absolutely terrified. Now, when you watch it today, it's not as terrifying, but I could still feel that sense of terror that I had when watching the film. Um, so when a movie like Butterfly Kisses does this, I have to just give it a huge shout out. I mean, it is one, it's not a true found footage movie in the sense of it's a documentary, a mockumentary, you know, to give the correct terminology for, for these types of films, but it, it is done in the sense that it is a documentary that the film that we are watching is something that's put on by a professional crew and uh, this crew is now discovering or investigating these tapes that were found by this young well not young rather kind of more older filmmaker who has not been able to succeed and then exploring what these tapes were about the people involved in the original tapes and then the mythos of what they were um, discovering so i want to give also a shout out to eric christopher myers you can follow him on twitter at ek myers uh, m-y-e-r-s he is the director, and he stars in the film because he is one of the, actually the director of the documentary within the film. Uh, he uh, reached out and asked me to do a review on the film, and I had no problem doing it. I had already watched it. I probably watched it three or four times. This is how much I love found footage, and it's just so interesting. It's uh, so the kind of basic plot synopsis of the film is that it is a group of uh, documentary filmmakers following uh, this older, uh, kind of failed uh, filmmaker named Gavin York. And Gavin is was a film student, and he had these kind of uh, dreams that he was going to become this huge filmmaker. And he was going to, you know, become rich and famous like most young filmmakers uh, believe and then they kind of find with if they don't have the ends within the industry that they live lives of maybe mediocrity and again this goes back to my earlier point of uh, saying support indie uh, filmmakers because you know I don't want them to be facing the issues that Gavin faces uh, you know his character as Eric explores his motivations for trying to promote this um, quote-unquote found footage movie, um, this real found footage within the film. And I think that's why it, it, it really impresses me because I can understand 
Gavin's motivations throughout the film. Now he's not, he's an empathetical character, but he's also a, an unempathetical character because he puts his family through these very rigorous uh, times by focusing on, uh, on this project and by putting all of his money towards it and uh, putting his family in financial risk. So again, going back to the plot, uh, you know, you have this documentary film crew, they're following Gavin around, uh, and in his parents' uh, house, they found, he had found, actually his father had found, father-in-law, pardon, uh, had found these uh, cassette tapes, or these little mini DV tapes, uh, and they were all kind of labeled, numbered, uh, some, one, I believe the final one was called The Final Solution. And uh, so the film intercuts with these found footage uh, DV tapes uh, as a film project by these two young film students about 10 years ago uh, and they were uh, trying to explore an urban legend within Maryland uh, dealing with this figure called uh, Peeping Tom or the Blink Man and if you would stare down this train tunnel for an hour without blinking he would appear and Every time you would blink, he would show up closer to you. And once you got to the final blink, he'd be right up in your face and he would uh, blink right in your face. And his eyelashes would be so long that they would uh, touch your uh, your face, your eyes, uh, and give the term where the butterfly kisses term comes from. And uh, as they explore the tapes, more things kind of occur and there's a... Uh, there's more credence to the urban legend and that urban legend then uh, is what Gavin is obsessed about because he believes that these tapes are real even though he can't find any evidence to support that these uh, two young film students were even real and uh, the constant question that the documentary filmmakers at the time as they were of the their recording um, Gavin is is this really real or is this a hoax and as you kind of go through the story, uh, you kind of discover that it's a little bit of both, uh, or that you're, you have to question, was this maybe a film project that Gavin had done and is trying to pass off as a real found footage film or his own horror film, but yet trying to present it as a real film? And um, I think it does a really great job exploring that, that duality. Um, there's a, a film that uses the concept of tapes uh, that I reviewed on Crystal's show with her uh, called The Poughkeepsie Tapes that was this kind, kind of not similar concept except in the sense that there were all these tapes and, and uh, it's a documentary, mockumentary um, presentation of the tapes, uh, but Poughkeepsie Tapes is more about a, a serial killer. And I, I found it very ineffectual. It was, it was a film that um, kind of had an infamy to it, in my opinion, or at least for me, because it was a film that I had seen the trailer for in theaters, and then it had magically disappeared, and then wasn't really available for home release until the past couple years. Um, and I was very disappointed in that film. But Butterfly Kisses does it so much better. It does the intercutting. Uh, in a much more um, 
interesting way and a way that makes more sense to the total narrative that Eric is presenting with this film. And uh, again, the effects that they do with uh, Peeping Tom are really cool. Uh, there's particularly, particularly a scene where one of the film students is sleeping on a couch and he's got a camera on him and you can see Peeping Tom in the mirror above uh, Feldman uh, as he's sleeping and just kind of creeping over him and it's really cool. So I have to recommend uh, checking out Eric's film. Uh, I don't want to go into spoilers on it, but it is just it's very well done. Uh, it's well edited, well acted. Um, you know, you believe the characters, you believe they're real, you believe the, the two young film students as they're going through this thing that they thought was an urban legend and as they're discovering as time goes on is actually real. Um, and they do lend some great authenticity to it. They are able to have a writer of the weird uh, states books. Uh, if you remember the, the like weird Ohio or weird Maryland or weird Pennsylvania, that would discuss these kind of urban legends or just kind of weird facts about the uh, states and some cities within the states. Well, the author of Weird Maryland is on the um, movie to discuss some of the to discuss that particular urban legend, in fact, and it's and it's really cool. Also, uh, you know, I mentioned Blair Witch Project. Well, Eduardo Sanchez, the director, uh, co-director of Blair Witch Project, shows up on interview over phone, but is there nonetheless uh, during a radio interview to kind of uh, tear apart Gavin's argument that this film is real. And uh, so it's kind of really cool. It helps ground it within reality because you know these are actual people uh, and people within those fields. Um, and discussing the, those topics, and so it's really kind of interesting, and I think Eric did a great job. Uh, everything, I think that movie worked on so many levels. There are some kind of slow parts, and although they're slow, they're kind of necessary. It's, it's them trying to lure you into a false sense of security, and then to really get you when uh, it turns it up to 11, and uh, you're seeing more of the peeping Tom, uh, Crystal mentioned this in her review if you've listened to her episode on it there's a particular scene where Feldman is doing a camera test and as he's doing the each test and he turns the camera on and turns it off and turns it back on out in the field the blink man uh, Peeping Tom is kind of getting closer and closer and closer each time he does the test and it's a really cool um sequence in the film uh so a review for score for that i i give that a four out of five i might even lean more up to a 4.5 out of five uh there's not really a whole lot i disliked about the film the ending really made me wanting more and maybe that's where i kind of take off a little bit on it but that's also credit uh to the filmmaker because it's got that means i'm invested in the story and i want to see a sequel and i want to see where this goes uh I want to know more about Peeping Tom and uh, the reality of his character and his legend and know maybe more of a backstory to the character itself. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, go check it out on Amazon. Uh, it's streaming on Prime currently. And reach out to the, to the director on Twitter. I mean, he's uh, growing a base on there, um, and he's... Uh, 
you know, a great guy, a great person to talk to. Um, I think a very talented filmmaker. I do need to check out one of his other films that is also currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's Butterfly Kisses. Um, I would love to actually go and do a full episode on it in the future to go more in depth and maybe talk spoilers on that one because I think it, it's a film that has a lot of layers to it and uh, can go and discuss more on and maybe I'll do that with a, a guest in the future. Um, so that will wrap it up for Butterfly Kisses. Uh, again, go check it out. All right. So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we're going to discuss uh, some video game topics. Um, first off, I, I, I just want to touch on um, the video game Jump Force. If you're not familiar with Jump Force, it is uh, published by Bando, Bandai Namco. Um, and they've done a, a bunch of great and not so great uh, anime uh, video games, uh, anime adaptations of uh, video games. And uh, personally, I haven't had a whole lot of issues with them. I've loved their Dragon Ball Xenoverse games because I'm a huge Dragon Ball fan. Um, and uh, I have loved their Dragon Ball Fighters uh, video game. Uh, and I know I've got a whole bunch of other, uh, and their and they're non-anime um, video games that they've also published uh, that I've also very much enjoyed. Um, so I've seen some uh, reviews, uh, some uh, fan may not be the right term, but customer uh, complaints about the product itself, uh, primarily with the uh, animation style for the video game itself, um, with load screens, with cutscenes. Uh, I don't know if there's been a whole lot of complaints about the dubbing versus subbing, there is no American or English dub for the video game, so you are left with the Japanese audio and uh, subtitles. Um, so I don't know if there's been a whole lot of criticism towards that, other than the fact that during particular cutscenes there are no voice uh, overs, uh, so you're primarily just reading, and I would love to have some voice over during those scenes, primarily just to see the character's mouth moves, uh, or even if they just animated the mouths moving, um, I could have done with that, because, you know, when they're standing there and they're supposedly talking and their mouths aren't moving, it's, it's 2019 in video games. I mean, come on, if you can't do that, there there are some issues that's making you cut in some corners, but that's just a minor criticism I have. I, I My big thing is about... Uh, you know, load screens, yeah, they're annoying, but, you know, they are what they are. You deal with them. They have cut down the time on the load screens through patches, so it's not that um, upsetting. But uh, the animation style. Okay, so here I can understand the complaint of people, especially fans of the anime and the manga uh, series themselves, having an issue that the fact that the characters are more uh, animated as realistic characters versus the actual traditional drawing and cell type uh, animation style of the mangas and of the anime. Um, but there is an essence to the story, or actually a critical point to the story, that these jump worlds, as they're called, because they're all part of Shonen Jump, um, 
that they are being brought to our world, the real world, and um, having to fight off these nefarious uh, uh, bad guys who have these grand plans. I'm not all the way through the story, so I don't know exactly what their plans are or why they're invading the real world. So I can understand them going with this more realistic approach to the character designs. Now, they retain their primary looks from their their respective uh, uh, series, and so I don't have as much of an issue. Yeah, it looks a little weird, but... I mean, would you expect a cartoon character who was transported to your world to look like a cartoon character? I mean, you would think that if it were a possibility that they would probably look more uh, realistic, not not exactly like a two-dimensional cartoon. Um, So I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, some of the characters look weird. Uh, Primarily, I believe, Gon, um, he looks more... um, odd than the rest. I mean, when you look at the DBZ characters, uh, Dragon Ball Z characters, if you're not familiar, um, they they look pretty spot on. Luffy from One Piece, which is an anime that I've recently dived into, uh, he looks great. I mean, Sanji and uh, Zoro look fantastic. Um, Naruto, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, or Yugi, rather, from Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, they all look like their characters. They're just they're more three-dimensional. There's more, you know, width and depth to them. And so I, I can't complain about that animation style, especially when they're setting these interactions to be happening in the real world. Now, what might have been cool or an interesting aspect is, say they go to uh, Namek from Dragon Ball Z, and then the animation switched over to maybe the 2D traditional that might have been a cool aspect to do, but probably would have prolonged development time. So I can understand why they wouldn't do that. Um, so, you know, I don't think that that's a valid criticism. I know you're you're coming from maybe a, a bias that, that these characters need to look this specific way, but I think it's completely justified for, for what they're doing with this project what they've done with this project um and my my final note on this is prior to having played this video game or even started playing this video game um the only anime i ever really watched was dragon ball i have watched dragon i have not finished the original dragon ball but i have watched dragon ball z uh through and through. I grew up on it as a kid. I watched it on Cartoon Network, on Toonami all the time. Uh, and so much so now I own the uh, complete series uh, on Blu-ray and I own uh, Dragon Ball and I've been buying the uh, Dragon Ball Supers as they release. Uh, I need to go back and watch all Dragon Ball but uh, I'm waiting until I finish Super first because I kind of had gone through Dragon Ball Z and uh, was moving on straight to Super, so it would have felt weird kind of, you know, mixing that up in between. Um, So prior to that, that was really the only anime I had explored. Now I'd started doing uh, One Piece, and um, because it's an anime that's kind of, I've always kind of seen it talked about, or I've seen it in characters here and there, and I never quite knew what it was about other than it was pirates, and... um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been doing um, 
weight loss. And uh, so during my workouts on my exercise bike, I started watching the anime on uh, Hulu. And because the um, the uh, the dub is not available on Hulu, I had to watch it with subtitles. So it was helping me keep focus on that versus oh, I'm spending 30 minutes on my exercise bike. Um, and I've fallen massively in love with One Piece. I mean, if you again, if you follow me on Twitter, you will maybe have seen a couple tweets that said about Monkey D. Luffy. And if you don't like him, we can't be friends. Uh, he is such a fun character, and the show is just fantastic. Uh, Sanji always um, trying to be a ladies' man, but it not really working, and uh, you know, trying to decide between Nami or Vivi right now, currently where I'm at within the series, is, is hilarious, but he's always like, Nami-chan, uh, Vivi-chan, or, or Queen, uh, you know, he's just like, he'll do anything for these for these ladies. Um, but that's about as, as far as I've kind of expanded into the anime world, and now that I've started playing Jump Force, and I'm being introduced to some of these new characters, I've started Naruto, I, I plan on watching... I believe characters from Bleach are, are in here, as well as multiple other manga and anime, that I am really interested now to go and visit those uh, shows. And um, so anime was something I always kind of tried to stay away from in the past, other than Dragon Ball. And now I've got an increased fascination and uh, love for these characters and these worlds, and I look forward to exploring these uh, these narratives. I think they're really cool and really well written, and I think there are some really great character arcs. So, in that way, to me, Jump Force has succeeded in what it was trying to do. It's an anniversary game for Shonen Jump, and it's putting all of these characters into one fighting game. It could be a little bit more complex in the mechanics, the fighting mechanics, but since it has made me interested in these other projects, it has done its job. So yeah, you can rate it low all you want. You can tear it apart for maybe it's poor mechanics or it's animation style or it's load screens, but I'm sorry, it, it has done enough to justify the price I paid for it. All right. I'm going to get off my soapbox on that video game and go over into first impressions of Devil May Cry 5. So, um, I'm more relatively new to the Devil May Cry franchise. Uh, I don't believe I started playing the actual games until they had, uh, well after they released the HD remasters for PS3. Um, I had picked it up on a sale because I'd always kind of been interested in it, but never had really gotten around to playing it. Didn't have it for you know PS2 or anything like that, um, and so I picked it up. And you know, first game, it's it's really uh, lacking in a narrative aspect, but uh, it was really fun. I had a good time with it. Uh, I loved Dante, and then I played two, three. I did not complete because uh, kind of the controls on the PS3 were not great. Uh, I do plan on getting the HD remaster for PS4 because I believe that there are some more improvements on it. And um, that way, I can maybe get around to actually finishing three. And then I picked up, uh, you know, Devil May Cry four, and I picked up the uh, Devil May Cry 
loose remake that's kind of in its own uh, own world, um, a multiverse. You know, if you're familiar with comics, um, to the Devil May Cry series, and and I loved it. I mean, I even love that reboot. I know that re- reboot is kind of panned by fans of the series, uh, but being its own thing, if you remove the old Devil May Cry games, it's a fun game in of its own. It, it changes enough of the narrative that you're not playing the same character over again, just in a you know updated graphics card. Uh, so, I was I was kind of. Uh, I don't know why, but I was kind of hesitant to pick up Devil May Cry 5. But then finally I was like, you know what? You really enjoyed this series. This is, you know, continuing on from the main series. It's disregarding the the reboot uh, slash remake. That, you know, give it a shot. You're, you're, you're probably going to like it. And uh, I pre-ordered the deluxe edition uh, digital, uh, mainly just for finance reasons. Um, it was easier for me to go ahead and pay it up front than rather wait for it to sh- uh, ship out. And uh, I started playing it uh, this morning, uh, about three missions into it, and I'm loving it. I mean, Capcom has really been hitting it out of the park with especially some remakes uh, or remasters, uh, the Resident Evil uh, 2, uh, and even, although I still got to finish it because I have an incredible huge backlog of games, I have no problem buying games. I have a problem of actually finishing them uh, or having time to finish them. I still have to finish Resident Evil 7 and its DLC. Um, I still have to go back and finish playing Resident Evil 2's remake. But they've been really hitting it out of the park with their video games recently. And their graphics engine that they are using for Resident Evil and for Devil May Cry 5 is gorgeous. I mean, these character models look real. And that was part of the huge selling point for because it looked so great. And, <coughs> apologies, um, it's great. I mean, even though I'm only three missions in and I'm, I'm still getting introduced into the story of what's going on, um, it doesn't, it hasn't missed a beat. Um, the combat is beautiful as ever. Uh, the style is fantastic. I look forward once we get back into Dante's story and, uh, inter- and you know kind of learn more about the new character of V. Uh, Nero is you know still a great carryover from Devil May Cry Four, and I am absolutely in love with Nico's character. Nico, if you're not familiar, I believe is a new character to the franchise, but she's kind of your gunsmith um, for the game, and she's just absolutely hilarious. Will not let Nero get by with giving him crap for anything so i look forward to getting more into it i'm going to play some more of it tonight uh and uh, you know hopefully not get sidetracked on any other video games division 2 is coming out soon and i know i'm probably picking that one up as well as uh there's a one piece rpg video game that's coming out that i'm now toying with possibly getting if i can afford it because i've also got some movie pre-orders that are going to be coming through next week as well and, uh, you know, spend a little bit of time on that, on that good old uh, bank. But uh, I really look forward to experiencing the rest of the story for Devil May Cry 5. And, uh, you know, giving you guys maybe weekly updates or every other week updates as long as I get to it. You know, because I won't probably be able to get a final review score until, who knows, maybe months down the road. Um, 
So I'm going to wrap it up there on first impressions for Devil May Cry 5. Uh, I'll keep you guys in the loop on what I think. And, uh, you know, once I finally beat it, maybe give another final tour. Um, so with all that said, I'm going to go ahead and shift gears to probably what you guys are all have been waiting for if you've been listening to me this whole time. Uh, is my review for Captain Marvel. Um, I'm not going to get into the politics of things. Um of what's been surrounding the marketing for this film, uh, stuff that the actress has said in um, kind of the press tour or things she has said in the past, uh, because I've tried to keep that separate from any movie I see, uh, actors, political leanings. And, and I don't want to talk politics on the show. It's not the purpose of the show. Um, it's not the purpose of me talking about entertainment at all. But I can't not mention that some of what was said in those press tours is kind of enforced within the movie. Not not to a great extent, but if you are familiar with what has been said or how it's been marketed, you're going to have a hard time not seeing it within the film. Um, I also want to say that I personally am a fan of Brie Larson, uh, uh, primarily some of the films she's done in the past. Uh, I loved her in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I thought she was great as Envy. Uh, she was amazing in Short Term 12. I mean, that film in of itself is really good. Uh, I thought she did a great job in that movie. Uh, I have not seen uh, Room, but I know that's one that she, I believe, won an Academy Award for or at least was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, and I liked her in, in um, Kong, Skull Island. I thought she was really great. She wasn't given enough to do, but she was really good in, in the movie. I, I mean, I enjoyed her in that film. So she is an established actress. I She has uh, performed very well in the past in, in projects I've seen her in. So I was expecting the performance of her in this movie as Carol, or Verz as you're introduced to her at the beginning of the film, uh, to be on that level, and sadly, it was it was an uneven performance, and I don't know if that was uh, because of direction or the writing. There were, I believe, four or five writers on this and two directors on it. Um, I don't know if maybe she just wasn't comfortable in the role or I know she's trying to make this role her own and, you know, go for it. Um, I, I just, I felt like the performance was really uneven in, in the film itself. Um, so before I go into any more real critiques about the movie, I'll give you a brief synopsis. Uh, you know, this is again within the MCU. Uh, they're introducing us to a character that is going to play a part in Avengers Endgame uh, coming out next month, which I'm super hyped for. Um, so Carol Danvers is a uh, an Air Force pilot who is involved in an accident uh, in the late 1980s and um, is uh, raised on the home planet of the Kree uh, called Hala and uh, is raised to believe she is Kree and um, that they are 
tasked with going after the Skrulls. Now, if you're not familiar with the Skrulls from the Fantastic Four comics, they are a, a race of uh, green aliens that have the ability to shapeshift, and they play an important part in a great uh, arc in Marvel Comics called Secret Invasion. Um, tiny little thing, I don't think we'll ever get a Secret Invasion movie because of, of events of this movie, um, which is kind of sad. I, I, I don't like that we might be robbed of that opportunity. But uh, Carol is um, kind of forced to crash on Earth. Uh, the, the scrolls are on Earth. They are after a particular uh, thing that might be used as a weapon of war, or we don't know why really the scroll wants this uh, either. And while on Earth, we are in her, she runs into a young Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, we get to see a very young uh, uh, Agent Coulson, played by Clark Gregg. Um, and because at this point, it's in the mid-1990s um, and uh, she crashes in Blockbuster as I'm, sh I'm sure you guys have seen from the trailers uh, it kind of lost its charm from the number of times I've seen it on the trailers that she crashes into the Blockbuster but if you are my age you know Blockbuster was a, a staple uh, in your, of your childhood and now they're basically extinct um, and she's introducing Nick Fury to this kind of greater scale world that it's not just planet Earth, and uh, and and her kind of coming to terms with her powers and her abilities. Uh, she is an amnesiac at the beginning of the film, and slowly over time is discovering that she's actually from Earth, and that uh, she is something more. Than, than what she thought she was. And it's with those aspects of the story that I don't have a whole lot of issues with. But plot-wise, story-wise, the film is very uneven. Um, it, it doesn't spend enough time in certain places for you to understand what is going on. It doesn't explain this war between the Kree and the Skrull uh, very well. So story-wise, it, it, it's not strong. I've seen a lot of people say now that this is the strongest story of all the Marvels. I'm sorry. Uh, this story-wise to me is on par with Doctor Strange. And you may not know uh, my personal opinions on Doctor Strange, but I thought Doctor Strange was a mediocre Marvel film. Um, I, I didn't care a whole lot for the story. I thought there was a lot of forced humor. Uh, there were visuals that, although they were cool, they had already been done. I mean, if you've seen Inception, that's really where they got a lot of the the, the uh, interesting visuals from. Uh, it, it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Uh, I mean, I still watch it. I still own it. I own every single movie. I own multiple copies of, of the Marvel movies. So I, I, despite my thinking that Doctor Strange is a mediocre movie, or a mediocre MCU movie, rather, it might be a better movie than most movies out there, um, it's just an okay film for me. And that's really where Captain Marvel kind of falls as well. Uh, I, I believe that it is a middle of the road. It is not the best origin story. Uh, again, it's very uneven, and I don't like how they do the memory stuff for Carol in this movie. I, I would have rather uh, 
we get just one extended scene about her flashbacks versus this weird uh, juxtaposition of her memories for what she's going through in her current struggles uh, within the film. Um, again, Bree's performance is, is uneven, and, and, and it's disappointing because she's got the talent. She's got the skill. I know she does. She's done these wonderful projects in the past. And again, that's where I don't know if it comes from the directing or from the writing for the film. I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen. I, I think they were trying to give us an origin story, but also trying to shoehorn in uh, this character to give us an understanding of why she's going to be so important in Avengers Endgame. And I think that was the wrong way to go about it. I may have rather seen her just show up in Avengers Endgame, and then we get the Captain Marvel origin story that we we have then Carol telling us, the audience, uh, where she came from or why she's been gone or uh, how she got her powers or why how is she this powerful. And I just don't think that this did a, a good service to the character uh, of Captain Marvel. Uh, and then when we get into the spoilers, I, I will uh, talk about some huge problems I have with the story and where it fits within the canon of the greater MCU. Um, because that's where I take off a lot of points. Um, because it, it does some things that extremely frustrates me as a fan of this cinematic universe, as a fan of comics in general. Um, so, uh, with that said, the good, though, uh, visually, it's, it's very stunning to look at. Um, there are some, and, and I'm not a huge person to complain about CG moments of a film, um, but... There are some really wonky CG uh, effects, primarily towards the end of the film, um, such as Carol's uh, with Carol's mask. Uh, that just doesn't look great. Um, it doesn't all look bad. It, it it's just in certain moments, primarily in, in the final fight sequence, where it just doesn't look great. Um, so, other than that. Um, the, some of the positives to it, though, is Samuel Jackson is great as Fury. Uh, I do have some problems with um, kind of how they characterized him. I know he's supposed to be younger, but this is only about 15 years before Iron Man, and I don't see Fury being this kind of happy-go-lucky jokester all the time. I mean, yeah, we've known him to say a few jokes in some of the other MCU movies, but he's always been kind of a serious paranoid character, and I don't think that they got to develop that paranoia a whole lot. They, they planted the seeds, but they weren't developed. Um, and the cat. Okay, we gotta talk about the cat because I believe I had heard people discussing that uh, Marvel uh, people press or their PR department didn't want people talking about the cat because they felt like the cat was taking too much away from the rest of the film. It's 100% true. Uh, Goose is hilarious. I mean, you will love every second of the flirking cat. Uh, if you don't know what the flirking cat means, just wait till you watch the movie. Uh, you will enjoy it. I'm fairly certain. Uh, it's absolutely adorable and terrifying at the same time so uh definitely a great character that has no lines but does a fantastic job uh and i can understand why people wouldn't necessarily want you talking about uh the cat versus brie larson's performance because 
not to get too critical, but her, the cat's performance is a little bit better. There's a little more depth and emotion. Not that uh, Brie Larson doesn't convey emotion, it's just uneven at points. Um, it makes sense at the beginning of the film, but then when you're reaching the middle and the climax, you still have these moments of non-emotion and then emotion kind of mixed together. It, it doesn't quite make sense, and then when some lines are developed, it, it, uh, they don't quite flow. Uh, and, and, and that brings me to another point uh, I, I mentioned with the Doctor Strange a little bit. There's a lot of forced humor. Uh, now, the audience that I was in the theater with, they laughed at, I'd say, pretty much all of the humor in the Marvel movie, or in Captain Marvel movie. I found myself only laughing maybe at one or two jokes that I found absolutely genuine, and they primarily dealt with the cat. And, and, that, and that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, Marvel used to do the humor subtly and, and they still have in some of their other projects uh but it really dr strange and this is why i equate captain marvel to dr strange is it, it felt really forced like they were too on the nose that they that it, it felt like someone holding up a laugh now card um and when a film has to tell you when to laugh i think that's that's an issue so uh it's just middle of the road um it's not poorly produced the story's a little wonky um it's got not really plot holes but it's just it's a, it's an uneven un, uneven plot and that was a criticism i had of uh of alita battle angel which a lot of people are comparing the two films and i and i say don't compare the two films they are both about strong female characters even though one might do it a little bit better um uh, we should be able to recognize these characters as strong uh, female characters within these genre roles, um, regardless of how they're going around and presenting it. Now, can they do it in better ways? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, can they do it in more believable ways? Absolutely, 100%. But these are strong female characters, and it's great to see these strong female characters, even if their movie is not necessarily uh, blowing you out of the park. Um, so, you know, the, the mid credit scene does a great setup for Endgame. Uh, it's very well done. And then the final credit scene is, it's another joke scene, much like Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, final scene was. Uh, I don't know when Marvel decided to start to switch those. I would rather have the joke scene in the middle and the really important scene at the end. Because if we start kind of learning this trope that there is the important ones in the middle... Uh, and the whole point of you kind of not necessarily I don't know if it's their intentional point but the, their point of is keeping the audience there to show the uh, to make sure that the audience sees the names and not necessarily remember the names but see the names of everyone that's worked on the film that deserves credit which they absolutely do um, you're going to lose your audience if you're putting the important scene first and then your joke scene at the end if they don't want to sit through another potentially two or three minutes of credits. I have no issue, but people like my father have, have an issue sitting through credits so long. And if it's something that's not going to be a payoff, uh, there's no point in you sitting in those long credits if you don't have the patience to sit through those credits. Um, so as a final review score, I, I, I've had a hard time. I've been, I've been thinking about it all day. Um, I thought about it last night even, and I'm still hovering between a three and a 3.5 out of five um it 
part of that problem is what I will talk about in the spoiler section of this uh, episode. Um, and maybe I'll come up once I I might see it again. I'm not sure if I'm going to go see it again. I will definitely own it as it, it is part of the MCU and it is a, a you know a vital part of the MCU. Um, I just don't know if I can get past these these issues I do have with certain story elements that will allow me to definitively give it a 3 or a 3.5, maybe on a second viewing or a third viewing or a fourth viewing or a viewing within the context of the MCU as a whole, I might be able to give it a few more points. Um, but I still recommend seeing it, uh, see it in theaters, or if you're if you are protesting it because of, of the political stuff, uh, you know, when it comes out on home video, rent it, you know, at least watch it, especially to give yourself a full picture of, of the MCU, especially moving forward. Uh, you know, it's, it's a disservice, it's a disservice to everyone who, who's worked on the film, regardless of the actors and actresses. You, you're, you're kind of spitting in the face of the crew that worked on there because, they, they aren't a part of the politics stuff. They're, they're doing a job, and they've worked hard on these films. And I will say that of any film, even films that I personally will not go see for personal reasons, I'm not going to tell someone, don't go see this movie. Everyone's allowed to like the movie. Everyone's allowed to dislike the movie. Oh, and everyone's allowed to maybe like slash dislike this movie. Um, so I, I hope uh, there is enough there for future installments and I think this is where I really have the issue of where it's set or when it's set or when we're introduced to this character there's not enough um, development of Carol in just one film uh, I think that this film does leave the door open for really cool uh, character moments maybe exploring more of the cosmic MCU like Guardians of the Galaxy um, does and us learning and growing with Carol more in the future. Um, so we'll, we'll see where these potential future installments uh, go. And um, I, I hope the best. I mean, I, I know there's some rumors going around right now that there's possibly recasting uh, if this movie doesn't do well or just as a response to some of the, the criticism of the of the stuff that's been done on the press tour. Um, I'm just going to have to let Disney and Marvel make that choice. I, I have no say on it. My personal uh, thoughts of Brie as an actress, or Brie as a person rather than an, uh, a character in her role, uh, have no bearing. No, they don't weigh on it. Uh, my, my opinion as a man doesn't really make any importance on it. Uh, it's just one person's belief or one person's opinion on a film. Everyone's welcome to their opinion of, of the film. They're like I said, they're allowed to like it. They're allowed to dislike it. Uh, if you're an MCU fan, you know, go watch it. Uh, you know, it's it's still enjoyable. It's, it is an MCU movie, and even the mediocre of the MCU movies are still enjoyable films to watch. They may not be, you know, the greatest in, in plot or character development, but they're they're still great films. Um, so I think that's going to wrap it up for. The non-spoiler section um, so if you want to go ahead and tune out now uh, you're more than welcome to um, I hope you enjoyed this episode it's something uh, I hope that resonates with fans uh, I think that 
you know, part of the problem with modern day film criticism is that most of these critics nowadays don't know how to love uh, film, even if there's things about it that they don't like. I think they view it too much as a job versus uh, a pastime. And I can understand that a little bit. I mean, I enjoyed my job when I first started my real job, and I kind of hate it. But, you know, I, I do it. it. It's a job. It, it helps pay the bills. It allows me to put this podcast out. Uh, so I, I can understand a little bit, but I, I think if we can rediscover that passion for film, uh, you know, you can do a better job at, at, at criticizing film and allowing people, you know, to, to know what you didn't like about a film, but what you did enjoy about a film. I mean, even though I have criticisms of the Captain Marvel movie, I still enjoyed it. There are a lot of films I own and I watch uh, that I may have extreme issues with, but I can enjoy it. I love film too much not to enjoy it. Um, same with video games. Same with books. Uh, you know that there there is enough out there that we can all still enjoy about these these projects. So. Um, if you liked what you listened to, if you're not staying for the spoiler section, um, you know, please follow me on Twitter at critics, not cynics. Um, you know, I, I enjoy putting some stuff out there. Uh, I'm going to probably be putting a poll up about whether or not I should continue mini reviews on there. That's what I was doing before I got the podcast kind of started. Uh, you know, I'm hoping to improve on a lot of things. Uh, this is still kind of, uh, a growing, uh, thing right now it's, it's still new i'm still learning some stuff so things aren't going to go perfect uh for you know these first few times but uh i plan on you know i i've got a lot of great plans in the future eventually i'm going to have a patreon up uh, i'm going to do some exclusive content on there but it won't be content that if you don't want to be a patreon uh you're not going to miss out on on the the stuff that i'm going to be doing i mean i'm going to be still doing these types of reviews it's going to be more niche uh, things like maybe uh, commentary slash MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000 um, type uh, commentaries for certain movies, especially once uh, my uh, co-hosts are able to be involved. Um, you know, maybe some uh, you know comic book show commentary for certain episodes. Um, <coughs> excuse me again. Uh, you know, Arrow's wrapping up next year, and I would love to do episode by episode commentary track that might be might be on here maybe maybe do a free one every now and then and, and then do a you know primarily patreon exclusive uh you know like i said film commentaries tracks but it's uh, it's going to be content that you know if you don't want if you don't have the ability or don't want to uh you know contribute to you're not missing out this is going to be the type of regular content i'm going to do i'm going to be reviewing a bunch of movies i'm going to be reviewing video games i'm going to be talking about other you know, TV shows and pop culture um, type things that I, I think you'll be able to get enjoyment out of it and you're not missing out on anything that might be a Patreon exclusive. Uh, I have plans for a website. I have plans for a YouTube channel uh, to go along with this podcast at some point. Uh, but it's all going to be money and, you know, uh, I, I'm going to try to finance a lot of that myself. So it's going to take some time. But, you know, I hope you enjoy the content. Uh, if you can go over to iTunes and just you know you can leave me a one star you can leave me a five star doesn't matter just you know tell me what you thought 
uh, leave me a quick review. It, it, like I said before, uh, with Crystal, you know, it helps us get out there. It helps people find our, our content and uh, that might be interested in listening to our content. So I, I thank you all for listening. I know I like to ramble. Uh, these episodes are probably going to be a, a substantial, depending on how long I can ramble on, especially once I start having co-hosts. I believe on next week's uh, episode, uh, my, uh, my best friend, whose also name is Patrick, uh, will be joining me as long as I can get things kind of, uh, you know, set up right for recording uh, via Skype, uh, since he is in New York currently and I'm in Ohio. Uh, to make sure that we, you know, we can we can get everything going pretty well for y'all. Um, so, w- with that said, uh, if you're not staying for spoilers, I'll see y'all guys next time. All right, now spoilers for Captain Marvel. All right, here is where my biggest gripes with the film are. First off, um, the Tesseract. All right. Tesseract is supposed to be at the bottom of the ocean. That they do not find it until years, years, and years later while searching for Captain America. Um, no, no. Apparently it's been up in a secret space lab this entire time. And uh, thanks to Goose, the flurkin cat, uh, the cat has been holding on to it for a while until it deemed necessary to spin it up in the end credit scene like a hairball and we have it for the Avengers movie. Uh, I did not like this. Uh, I thought that uh, it was unnecessary. I don't think it was uh, an important factor. Uh, although we have established that the Infinity Gems or the Infinity Stones can imbue people with power it is now the source of carol's power versus the origin of the comics where they came from marvel now this is also a huge huge gripe i have and this is not coming from a just a male perspective this is coming from a comic book fan perspective uh they you know they were uh they did not reveal who jude law was playing until Essentially, I saw a review that kind of spoiled who his character was, and I, 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 I'm upset with that reviewer because that is a very, uh, a very big plot twist to the film that was ruined for me when I was experiencing the film. And my contention was that they were just trying to hide that Jude Law was Marvel. Uh, I love Jude Law. I think he's a fantastic, act, fantastic actor. I loved his portrayal as Dumbledore in the uh, second Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Him. I loved him as Watson in Sherlock Holmes. Um, he has played evil characters before. Um, and so I don't have an issue so much with him playing a villain, but he would have made perfect sense to be Marvel, especially when in the film he is more of a mentor to Carol. And I understand that they were trying to play the betrayal aspect of of the third act, that Carol was going to be so upset finding out that Jude Law is Jan Rog, a villain from the comics, um, who essentially caused uh, 
these uh, these events to happen, um, mainly by killing Marvell, and uh, you know, being impetus for Carol getting her powers, uh, betraying her, lying to her for six years, and then trying to mansplain uh, a term I hate greatly. At the end of the film, that Carol needs to control her emotions, so. To get a little political, you have a woman beating a man who's telling her to calm herself down, uh, which I thought was stupid. Uh, it was unnecessary. They could have made it a lot more compelling fight without putting in any type of personal politics within the film. Now, with that said, the gender swap of Marvel is my number one complaint. Well, it's tied number one, rather. I will get into the, the tiebreaker or the tire. Uh, after I talk about Marvell, uh, Annette Benning's character in the film is Marvell, and that is a complete rewrite of the character, and I am very upset with it. And it's not because you can't have these female characters or you can't have these women playing these characters. It goes against the comic book origin, uh, and I have a huge issue with that. They could have made Jude Law be Marvell. They still essentially make Annette Benning the villain as the Supreme Intelligence, since the Supreme Intelligence won't show you that it's a big giant head in the jar. It will only show you uh, something from your memories. And so you see Annette Benning play Marvell and the Supreme Intelligence and being a villain and being a hero at the same time. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. You could have made her be this rogue Kree scientist. Um, who was trying to develop this technology for the scrolls so the scrolls could escape this galaxy and find a new homeworld? Uh, that would have been fine. You could have still had Jude Law sacrificing himself in the third act of the film to the supreme intelligence for Carol to discover the full extent of her abilities. Uh, that would have worked. I, I, you still could have maybe had. Jan Rog being played by Jude Law, uh, you could have had it been that uh, Jude Law was Marvell and uh, had developed this technology, and that, uh, like I said, Annette Benning is still the villain and the hero ish of the, the story. Had her take on the look of Jude Law and be Marvell. Uh, in some form or manner, you know, all would all other ways would have been a little bit more compelling than what they did. Uh, I think that's very disrespectful to the source material. I understand we're trying to do a strong female character, a strong female superhero. I have no issues with that. But when you're uh, destroying the source material in such a disrespectful way to the actual creators of the original Captain Marvel, who was a male character and who rightfully passed it on to Carol and, and uh, sacrificed himself so that, uh, you know, characters could go on and strive, it felt disingenuous. It, it felt like a slap of the face to the creators of the original character, to the fans of the actual source material. So it really upset me, and that's where I really have a hard time. Uh, in deciding a final review score of this film. Um, I, will I get over it? Have I gotten over it? Yes. I know I sound a little incensed right now, but uh, 
it's just that upsetting to me that they changed such a, a, a very important key factor of the actual source material. Uh, if the source material wasn't there, I wouldn't have an issue. But the source material is there. And yes, you can make variations on source material, but key items uh, that are not meant to be changed should not be changed just for the sake of, of pushing a, a, an ideology. Um, and with that said, and I do have to do some research because I'm not 100% familiar with Carol Danvers' backstory as an Air Force pilot. I have no issue with her being the impetus for Nick Fury to start the Avengers Initiative, or to, uh, but to have it be that her call sign was Carol Avenger Danvers, for him to then name it the Avenger Initiative and to start finding these uh, heroes is, is disgraceful to Captain America. Captain America is titled the Captain America, the first Avenger. He is supposed to be that kind of founding member of the Avengers. Yes, you can argue that Iron Man is really the reason we get Avengers, and I don't disagree with you on that. But it's because of the relationship that Howard Stark had with Cap in World War II and the effect that that had on the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D. This, this character of Captain America, in the MCU at least, is... The reason S.H.I.E.L.D. exists is the reason why when HYDRA comes out in Winter Soldier, uh, he rows against them, rallies against them, and is that kind of shining beacon of hope that they're trying to make Captain Marvel, which is not a problem to, to try to make her character be that beacon of hope, but for redemption. I mean, look at Winter Soldier. Look at what he was able to do with Bucky and bring him back from the dark side. Um, through Winter Soldier and Civil War. I mean, I felt really disrespectful just to try to shoe in, shoehorn in this character in before Avengers Endgame. Uh, I, I did not like these, these two main things. These two main things are my biggest issues with this film. Uh, and and I and I don't like I don't like it I, I, I feel like it, it is an insult to the canon it is an insult to the ten years that Marvel Studios has put in uh, put out for uh, for the fans um, I think it, it, it changes the whole MCU in a way that's not great uh, I could be wrong I could be wrong Endgame can prove me wrong the future of the of the MCU can prove me wrong and I will gladly admit when I'm wrong but when you change these key key factors like I said I don't have an issue with her being the reason Nick Fury looks for these heroes but to name it specifically after her when you have a character from the 1940s who fought during World War II who has this uh, sense of right and wrong and not willing to let people die uh, because orders are telling him that they are a lost cause. To sacrifice himself to save the world despite have, starting to have a life at the end of the first Avenger. Uh, 
it felt very disingenuous to the history of the MCU, to these 10 years of fantastic films and fantastic comic book movies. But I will get over it. Um, but these were the major problems I had. Also, this on a lighter note, the opening theme for Marvel Studios is a tribute to Stan Lee, and it is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Stan. Thank you for creating these characters uh, that have impacted the world for decades uh, and being such an influential person on my life. And, and I love the Mallrats Easter egg. Uh, well, it's not really an Easter egg, but it's a little cameo, rather, where he's on the train reading the scripts for Mallrats because it's around the time when Mallrats comes out, and him reading his lines from that movie, which is one of my one of my favorite Kevin Smith movies. That was awesome, fantastic. Uh, so thank you, Stan. Thank you for all you've done. May you rest in peace. Uh, you've earned it, and uh, Excelsior. All right, guys. Um, I hope the spoiler section wasn't uh, uh, wasn't too ranty. Uh, I was not trying to be mean. These were just my reactions to when I watched the film and things that upset me and, and I think really detracted from the film. Had they not made these substantial changes to, to canon, I don't think I would dislike the film as much as I... or have issues with the film as much as I've had issues with this film. Um... Is it going to stop me from seeing the future MCU movies? Is it going to stop me from seeing a future Captain Marvel movie? Absolutely not. I love the franchise. I love the characters too much to do that, to allow that to get into the way. Um, but in the ranking of all the MCU movies, this ranks with Doctor Strange uh, as just a middle-of-the-road, mediocre MCU movie. Um, so with all of that said, I bid you adieu. I hope I do not. I did not alienate anyone with uh, these these thoughts. Uh, you know, if you have any questions or comments or things you want me to bring up in future episodes, you can email me at um, at uh, criticsnotcynics at gmail .com. I will definitely give you a shout out on the show. Uh, I'll read your question on the show. I'll probably save it more towards the end. Uh, again, you can also follow me at Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. Uh, I don't believe I, I really said that right uh, earlier on in the episode. I'll have to make sure that that gets into the show notes. Um, but thank you for joining me, and I hope uh, you enjoyed the content. I look forward to putting more out. I will have a co-host at some point. Crystal will probably be joining me on this uh, program at some point to review uh, some horror films. Uh, or maybe talk about some horror video games since she's not much of a gamer uh, but she loves watching horror gameplay uh, we can talk about some uh, some horror video games uh, and see uh, her reaction to those um, so I look forward to talking to you all uh, next time alright guys goodbye